0: He ko Naipeurangi e Tene, Nātereo Irirangi, o ao Aroa.
1: Welcome to episode 3, season 2 of Not Your Average Cricket Show, where we're heading traditional cricket commentary for six. I'm Zoe George.
0: And I'm Justin Gregory. We're following all the action from the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup in England, bringing you analysis, bad cricket puns, local legends, cricket-related current affairs, and guest hosts every Monday during the tournament.
1: You can join the conversation on the RNZ Boxbox app or email us, cricket, at rnz.co.nz. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Radio Public or at rnz.co.nz forward slash series. And, of course, you can listen to us on the RNZ app. On
0: today's show, we're looking at the second week of matches, including the Black Caps games against Bangladesh and Afghanistan. We cross to our Corrie on the ground, Ian O'Brien, and we head back to Otago for this week's local legend. And, of course, we give our picks for the next round of games.
1: Today's co-hosts are two former pacemen from the Black Caps, both now retired from playing, but both forging their careers in other aspects of the sport. Geoff Allett played 10 tests and 31 ODIs for New Zealand after retiring in 2001. He went into administration and now is on the New Zealand cricket board. He has a bronze medal from the 1998 Com Games and was also the equal highest wicket-taker at the 1999 Cricket World Cup.
0: Shane Bond played 18 tests, 82 ODIs and 20 T20s for New Zealand and is now, amongst other things, the bowling coach for the Mumbai Indians. Your fastest delivery, Shane, was clocked at 156.4 kilometres now and that was at the 2003 World Cup. We haven't got stats on your fastest ball, Geoff. How quick
2: were you uh, back in the early days? Uh, a lot slower than that, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't match uh, Bondy. When I did, I tended to break. I think I ended up with seven fractures trying to bowl anywhere near his speed.
1: Uh, you never played a test together, I don't think. But you must have opened the bowling together for Canterbury a few times.
3: No, I think more for old boys. and Unfortunately, I had to run into the wind, which made it challenging because Geoff was the big old nasty fasty in our team. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, we had a bit of a priority. <laughs> <laughs> I'd done the hard yards yeah. with uh, Stu Roberts and Chris Flanagan before that, so um, you know it was always good. I, we, we believe it was the making of Shane Bond, actually, yeah. with his ability to swing the ball.
1: Geoff, <laughs> uh, <laughs> do we dare ask about the record for the longest time taken to score a duck?
2: Thanks for that, Zoe. Oh, you're um, welcome. That's really good of you. No, actually, I, I get more um, recognition for that than anything else, unfortunately, and, and my kids just love bringing it up. Um, one of those moments where... Yeah, is is more about survival and, and um, Chris Harris sent me back about four or five times when there was an easy single. Um, but unfortunately I ended up um, in the paper holding my bat for getting naught. Uh, you 100. still got that record? Yeah, I think I do. Oh, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Shane. <laughs> yes, you do. Don't worry,
1: Stuart Broad uh, was closely behind you with that, batting for 103 minutes, actually against New Zealand before scoring a run. So you s- so we
0: blew that record attempt.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah dear, oh dear. Uh, let's crack on. Um, first of all, New Zealand Black Blackcaps, the top of the points table right now on three wins out of three games and have a good net run rate. They played calmly and well against Afghanistan over the weekend. Jimmy Neesham picked a 5 for, which puts him in the illustrious company of Richard Hay, Trent Bolt, Tim Southee, and Shane Bond.
0: And over the weekend, he tweeted um, uh, a list of that five, people who took five wickets and said one of these things is not like the other.
1: <laughs> what are your thoughts on the game, uh, Jeff? Um, let's look at Afghanistan first, which was over the weekend. There was actually a really touching moment. I don't know if you saw with Kane Williamson uh, after one of the batsmen got hit in the head with a cricket ball.
2: Yeah, it was um, a nasty blow too, and and you know I think it's the right thing. I think even even the nasty fasties don't feel good about um, that situation. You know, and I know the team would have been deeply concerned. Um, the players these days are, are very close, you know, off the field, and they play a lot of league games, you know, with each other, so they know each other well, and, and that's never never good to see. But um, that said, um, you know, it was uh, the, the, st- the style of bowling, I guess, which I think really um, got us into that game.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, should we be concerned the fact that we haven't played any big games or big teams so far? We've got India on Thursday, which is going to be a bit of a cracker.
3: Uh, I don't think so. I think these three games were three games New Zealand probably expected to win and had to win. And they'll have a little, bit of, um, there's a little bit of a comfort zone there knowing now that they've, they've got those six points uh, in the bank. But I think, to be fair, building towards semifinals, you'd want to be going into some tougher games. And there's no doubt the next six games are all going to be extremely tough. But um, there's probably more pressure on other teams who have dropped some games to, to beat us. So I think we're in a really good position going into this, the next phase.
0: Yes. We did have a nice, tough, tense game against Bangladesh earlier on. That won't have hurt us at all, will it?
2: No, look, it, it, Bangladesh is always a team that um, you're, you're worried about. Um, you know, they've got players, they've got world class players, obviously, that can trip you up, and we have been, and we all know about it and have heard about it um, for a number of years now, where New Zealand's been, been knocked over either playing in Bangladesh or, or against them in the Champions League, I think it was um, a couple of years ago. So, so, look, it was a great result, I think. Um, and some, some different players, I guess, stood up as well for us, which was, which was nice to see as well.
0: It's been a bowler's tournament so far this World Cup, hasn't
3: it? Yeah, I think it, I think it has. In saying that, there's still been scores of 350, um, 380, so it's, it's a real mixture, I think. We've seen some pitches that have been fresh wickets that have done a little bit in the morning, and then you're starting to see wickets now, like last night's game, that have been used and are flat, and we're seeing some much bigger scores. So I think as the tournament goes on, and, uh, they'll keep producing those flat wickets. I think what you don't want to see is a wicket that's just too much in the favour of the team bowling first because it's going to seem around in the morning, so... From my point of view, I'd much prefer to see used wickets that takes the swing and the seam out and the, makes the toss so much more important. Um, and I think that the last night's game's a perfect example. Team gets 3.50 and is still in danger of losing, and I'd much rather see that in an even competition. Best team wins.
0: Ah! Of all the teams I've watched so far, India and New Zealand are the two harmist looking teams. I don't know what that means, but there's a slight anxiety about England that I've picked up. I think it's being the favourites is playing on them a little bit. Australia looked like they were working hard last night, a cracking game against India, but still. But India and New Zealand look like they know what they're about and they've got their game plan settled and they know how to go forward. Does that um, ring a bell for you guys?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think it's a reflection probably of the confidence in the squad. I don't think it's just about the eleven as well. I think it's actually that you're knowing that you've got players that can step in at any given time and, and perform a job and, and what I think is creating that calmness is that across the board if you look over the last three games albeit against the competition that we've faced is that you've had you know most of those players step up in almost a match winning performance um, mm. so that helps with the whole confidence it helps knowing that if, if the top for example if the top couple of bowlers can't get wickets and we've got guys that can come on and strike still um, and I think with the batting as well, you know, we've shown that we can lose a couple of wickets, and we've got that maturity and experience to come in in the middle and still, you know, noodle it around and, and then post a decent score. Um, I Really, I think as we progress into the tournament, as that pressure continues to build about placements, about you know, sem- um, semi-final spots, etc., mm. that's when it's going to be critical to see who of those players can actually hold their nerve and, and step up.
0: Shane, coming back to Jasper Bumra, I just want to talk about him a bit, which I imagine a lot of cricket fans do when they run into you. His his dipping ball, how does he bowl that? Is that all about his point of release? What what's going on?
3: No, he's just got uh he just he's got a very supple wrist. So he just um, he changes his wrist position slightly and runs it over the front of the ball. So it's almost sort of Dwayne Bravo like. So he's got mm. two sly balls, he's got a stock standard off cutter. And then he's got the one where he just turns his wrist a little bit more and gets it to dip. And it's extremely hard to see. Hardest thing about him is he's just got this stuttering sort of run-up. Yeah. Uh, it's only in the last few metres that he sort of powers through the crease. And then he gets his front foot down real quick. And obviously his arms go out straight. But it's the pace. When you see him bowling the nets, he just hurries everybody up. And nobody likes facing him in the nets. And probably, to be fair, the same. People sit on him in T20 cricket because they know he's he's a game changer. So we're, we're very lucky to have him in our team.
1: Speaking of fast bowlers, we now cross to our correspondent on the ground in the UK who also played with our two co-hosts today, uh, who are Shane Bond and Angie Fallett. We've got Ian O'Brien on the line. Kia ora, Ian.
4: Yeah, kia ora. I made those two those two guys look like medium paces, <laughs> and what you're still I... talking rubbish. <laughs> 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 no, you actually. Did... <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing changes. my mind. <laughs> you <laughs> <copped for me. laughs>
1: What's your take on the game uh, from the weekend against Afghanistan?
4: Um, I actually managed to get to uh, get down to Taunton. Lovely ground, beautiful place, um, and it was uh, it was a, it was a job done. Um, I don't think it was cl- uh, it it was clinical in terms of easy. They they did it easy. I think Nisham will bowl a lot better and have, take no wickets, um, but Taylor and and Williamson done that done their little bit,
1: mm. and
4: and then it was you know, finished off quite uh, quite neatly and a early night to drive back home.
1: <laughs> What's your perspective leading into the biggest game so far of this tournament for New Zealand, which is on Thursday against India? I mean, is this a good couple of warm up games for us? We had Bangladesh the other day, which was actually closer than what we thought.
4: Mm. Yeah, they won ugly though, and that's uh, and that's not the worst thing they did. They made yeah, they made a couple of big uh, big mistakes, but they got back in front, and and they don't. And New Zealand hasn't beaten Bangladesh, so it you know, doesn't have a great away record against Bangladesh. So yeah, three wins, job done. Everyone's had a bat, everyone's had a bowl in in terms of the the, the playing eleven. Everyone's top to bottom had a had a hit, and everyone's had a bit of some time to 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 get into the World Cup. Um, and yeah, uh, completely different change. I think New Zealand has definitely played the three weaker teams uh, in the in the group, and yeah, a big big step up uh, for the next one, that's for sure.
1: What have the crowds been like? You said you were there at the game on the weekend. Have they been supportive of New Zealand?
4: Yeah, it was good. I mean, massive um, Afghanistan uh, sort of population in and around that um, that side of uh, the sort of the southwest. Um, so it was. Good Afghanistan support. And a load of, um, load of black cap shirts and beige shirts and, and a load of Kiwis uh, in the crowd. So it was, um, it was actually really quite a good fun crowd without it being uh, the oval crowd uh, like today.
1: <laughs> Ian, what should we expect against the game against India this week? Oh, um,
4: yeah. I, I think it'll be a blowout, one team or, or the other, um, just in terms of New Zealand have to score a lot of runs. And so that could end up being uh, work against them because they'll, they'll rush, maybe rush a few, few too many and, and end up short. Or in the bat first and, 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 and they'll do similar. Uh, so I, I, think, I don't think it'll be a close one. I, I think the margin will be significant because both teams will be chasing. Uh, both teams will be pushing hard and they might end up pushing too hard.
1: Before we let you go, Ian, what's your pro tip for the week? All right, last week I told you,
4: little finger for the outswinger. and I, 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 Use your thumb to bowl the inswinger. Get your thumb through first to get the inswinger going. Bondy knows all about that.
1: <laughs> That's a fantastic pro tip. Thanks so much, Ian O'Brien, who's joining us on the ground in the UK, uh, giving us his commentary for the Cricket World Cup. Uh, our guest co host today is Shane Bond and Jeff Allett.
0: Beautiful.
1: This week we head back down south to Otago to chat with Otago Cricket Development Officer Jess Davidson about their highly successful Girls Smash competition. I started by asking her what it's all about.
5: Down in Otago we have our SBS Bank Girls Smash programme. So it's a free girls only primary school initiative which is aimed at increasing participation um, of young girls playing cricket but in a really fun, friendly and supportive environment.
1: And what kind of things do you do?
5: It's a modified softball competition. Um, The girls play in six-a-side school teams, and it's just a short 40-minute game with every girl getting a bat in a bowl. So they bat in pairs for two overs, and it's all about having fun. Um, There's no experience necessary, so it doesn't matter if the girls have never played before. We we try to create a really fun festival-like atmosphere um, to entertain the girls, so even if they're not so involved in the cricket, They can have a wee dance to the music of the loudspeakers or enjoy sausage sizzles and face painting and have some giveaways. So creating a really fun environment for them to experience cricket for the first time.
1: That does sound like a fun experience. It's a huge difference from what we experienced growing up. What's the reception been like?
5: It's been fantastic. We weren't sure um, how it would sort of be received, but the programme began in 2017, and it started off with 74 teams across the Otago region which was awesome. It meant over 500 girls were experiencing the game, many for the first time. And there were centres in Dunedin, Gore, Invercargill, Omru, and Queenstown. And then since then, um, in the past three years, the programs just continued to grow. And now we have over 720 girls um, with 91 teams and new locations popping up in Kurarau, Balclutha, and Tyree. So it's been a really good reception. We always encourage the girls, come along next week and bring all your friends. So, yeah, it's really good reception. So is it a
1: weekly thing?
5: Yes, so there's one week weeknight um, each week. So the programme is run in Term 1 and Term 4, and it runs for five weeks. Um, we also go into some of the schools and might run some fun sessions beforehand just to create a bit of hype and excitement about the upcoming programme before it begins.
1: And it's not competitive, is it? It's all about having fun and learning some of the skills involved with the game.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um I think a massive part is the social side of cricket. So it's all about girls playing with and against other girls and just letting them take an actor's lead and getting involved in the game. It's all softball equipment and it's completely free as well so that breaks down any cost barriers uh, that might be associated with involvement.
1: What are we going to see this year with Girls Smash, end of 2019, start of 2020? Same thing? Hopefully we'll continue to get more girls coming along.
5: We're really lucky we have some of our Otago Sparks players who assist with running the um, sessions and the locations. We're very lucky to have Susie Bates down here, so hopefully she'll get along to a couple more of the centres. And, yeah, just getting more girls involved and exposed to our game in yeah, a really fun environment.
1: And is it offered anywhere else in New Zealand or is it just in Otago at the moment?
5: Our SVS thing, uh, um, program is unique to Otago, but there's some really good um, initiatives happening all around the country including our Year Girls Programme, which is for years 7 to 10. So it's really cool to see that there are pathways being created where the girls can start at entry level and then there's options for them to continue as they choose.
1: And congratulations on winning the Best Female Engagement Strategy at the New Zealand Cricket Awards. That must have been a bit of a buzz.
5: Oh, that was fantastic. We um, we pride ourselves down here in Otago for our Girls Smash Programme And we felt really honoured to receive this award. As I know, all around um, New Zealand at the moment, there's many women and girls strategies happening, um, which are doing some really good things and for increasing girls' participation all around. So we felt very lucky to get that award.
1: Yeah, the future is female, right?
5: Absolutely, especially um, with the Women's World Cup being held here in 2021, which hopefully that'll just increase the girls' involvement even more.
1: Otago Cricket Development Officer Jess Davidson on Girls Smash. Shane, you have daughters. Do they play cricket?
3: Uh, my middle daughter, well, it's middle in our family, does. She plays a little bit for the school. Um, she's not a bad little bowler, but batting wise, both girls have played a little bit. Batting wise, they're terrible. They're, they're more bowlers
2: than batters. Oh,
1: do they take <laughs> after you? Yeah, they definitely take <laughs> after me. <laughs> and, Jeff, is a future female in cricket?
2: Massive. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's one of the areas. Certainly, from a, a governance point of view, I guess mm. on um, being on the board, it, it's a key focus for us. Um, you know, it has been now for a couple of years since Sarah Beaman's report, and and you know, it was a fairly damning and you know, a real representation of probably how how poor we had been in terms of um, recognising you know the contribution of a females and, and B obviously a, a playing group that um, can lead to so much. And I'm I'm very very excited actually about the future for. For females in the sport, actually, full stop. But also, uh, in particular, you know, for for girls coming through a a new pathway and um, and being well supported.
1: There's not a lot of uh, games for the white ferns until sort of the end of the year. Is that concerning for women's cricket? Uh,
2: Look, I think there's a you know, obviously there's an international series that's constantly being looked at. Um, You know, I think we're looking at there's domestic competitions as well. And what we've got to make sure that we do is actually build continue to build both on a national and a global level you know a sustainable model um, and and I think that's the key thing what we're seeing this year I know you know within New Zealand cricket you know we've we've committed to a, a whole lot more camps during the winter and a whole lot more development opportunities to actually bring another core of player through as well which actually is equally as important We don't want to expose a group of players that aren't necessarily up to to international standard as well just yet. And I think that's where we've just got to sit back and, and look, we're in talks at the moment about designing you know, new domestic competitions and, and I think you know, the international uh, pathway for some of these players is going to be tremendous. I can see India um, expanding into potentially a, a female competition. Obviously, we've got the Australian and English leagues. So you know, there is a, a terrific um, opportunity coming you know, going forward and we've just got to make sure that we, we programme the right, um, the right system.
1: Jeff Allot and Shane Bond are our guests today. Both of you have taken different paths. Jeff, yours is in government governance, but Shane, yours is in coaching. Uh, we had Peter Fulton on uh, the show in our first episode, uh, and he's come from an international playing background straight into coaching. Was it the same for you?
3: Yep, uh, pretty much. I, I always had my eye on doing coaching when I finished. I think I always liked watching the game, always liked analysing it. Um, had probably a personality that lended itself to helping people, having been a cop um, before Before I was a cricketer. So it was something I always wanted to have a go. I, I think the thing for me and people find the same is when you, when you move into the coaching path, people, even in the paper, when you get jobs, quote your playing career. And coaching isn't playing. It's, mm. it's very, very different. And it doesn't matter how good your playing record is. It doesn't really impact on you as a coach. Yes, it gives you some experiences, particularly if you've played at the top level but it's a very different skill and it's one that you've got to learn over time so like anything, I, th- I think Mike Hessen showed that you don't necessarily have to be a, a top-class player to be a top-class coach. Mm. And I think it's still important, and that's probably a good question for Jeff is continuing to work on those pathways to bring people, not just like myself who have played at the top level, but capable people through, give them the opportunity to, to help and coach um, elite players or players at any level.
1: Did you go through a coaching training, uh, you know, because the ICC offer a Level 3, for example, for international coaches. Did you have to go through that too?
3: Yep, I, I did the Level 3 here. Um, I think the biggest thing that's probably like playing is you, you've got to have your own, and you learn this as well over time doing a whole different roles. Is you've got to be really clear about your vision, what you want to do as a coach, how you're going to go about things, the systems, the structures, the planning, all the things that people don't see is probably even more important than the, and the re, ability to build relationships with people is the is the is the critical stuff. So you know I've, I've been doing it ten years now, and I'm still learning heaps. Uh, I'm lucky I'm doing a whole different range of jobs around the world, so getting the chance to learn off a lot of great people, but just like, just like a player when you start at 19, you're a very different player when, you've, when you're at 35 and it's, it's no different when you're a coach.
0: Mm. What's the breakdown do you think at the elite level between coaching technique versus coaching the mind?
3: Uh, it's probably more the mind, that's probably where I spend most of my, my time. The, the technique side of things, um, the elite players have a pretty strong understanding, so you're acting as their eyes. Um, and you're digging through a little bit of data and just keeping an eye on things to see that people aren't getting into bad habits. But a lot of it is psychology. Um, challenging players, taking them a little bit outside their comfort zone. Um, and even, I find, with some of the elite players, to try to get them to do things that they're not used to is, ch- is tough. So Malinga Malinga's a classic case. It took three years to get him to bowl around the wicket this year. And it was through a little bit of failure and him having a tough time that he, he finally trained it, bought into it, and had a go at it. So these things they can take a little bit of time, especially with stubborn players, which Jeff and I probably were at the, the back end of our careers.
1: <laughs> no, man, really? Fast bowlers yeah. have this reputation though, right?
3: Well, being dumb. Yeah, <laughs> no, hey, I, mean, I didn't say that. It's like front Just rowers slow. in rugby, really, but we all see all the front rowers tend to be, you know, forwards tend to be coaches, same as uh, fast bowlers as well. Maybe we're the true brains of the operation. There's
0: that necessary bit of aggression, isn't there, when, say in the Kigisa rubata situation, when about a a year ago, there was perhaps too much aggression in his game. What's the balance? How do you dial it back and say, "Look, this is actually affecting your playing. Keep the intent, drop the hostility."
2: Look, I, I think um, New Zealand learned a really uh, a significant lesson not uh, a couple of years ago, unfortunately, obviously with the Phil Hughes incident, where we were, current, we were playing Pakistan, I think at the time, and, and um, the team, you know, were reluctant to go out. Um, I think in play, both teams were reluctant to go out and play, but they agreed to. And New Zealand, you know, we're feeling, you know, obviously the new knew him well. Um, and I think the New Zealand team, the mood that day was not about celebration when we got wickets. And I think dialling back the emotion is actually something that New Zealand has learnt to, to do over the last few years. Is is actually, yes, celebrate and, and yes, recognise poor performances, but don't go to the extremes. And I think that can be the same for fast bowlers. I think... You know, we, we have it built in us, naturally, um, the aggression. Um, so it, it will come out at times. But there's also an element, I think, of time where you've just got to control that and focus on your job. Uh, and I think the, the, the professional player today can do that far greater than the, the guys of my era.
1: At the World Cup, though, things like nerves get in the way, don't they?
2: I think that happens. Whatever game you play
3: for for your country, it just gets dialed up a little bit more because you're under far under far much uh, much more scrutiny. Um, you know, f- from home in particular, mm-hmm. New Zealand won't notice it as much because you're away. But uh, but the last World Cup experience. Two thousand and fifteen, which was brilliant I mean we we went into that tournament having watched all the games on TV of the ninety two World Cup and were trying to live up to that, so we knew there was a huge amount of scrutiny on us and we knew that if we did it well though the upside was that cricket would get a, a real boost and thankfully thankfully for our point of view we, we went the right way and it was it was massive um, and, and you 're hoping that, that 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 New Zealand kick on here and and do the same again that with' particularly with um, Boxing Day test matches coming up in Australia and having that series at the back end of the year as well. If New Zealand can have a really strong World Cup and then go over to Australia and perform really well, then that'll be a, another real good boost for, for our sport.
1: We're almost coming to the end of Not Your Average Cricket Show. Before we let you go, though, Jeff Veller and Shane Bond, what are your pro tips? Jeff, let's start with you.
2: Well, look, I was an incredibly um, probably just below average or average player. So I, no, had, to, um, I had to go away and learn. I was, I was dropped um, by Steve Rickson for the, the third test over in a, against Australia in a series where I'd got pretty much pumped around the park. And he made a really valid point. He said, You have to go away and find a way to swing the ball. And, and um, you know, I, I had a bit of bounce and a, re- a reasonable amount of pace, I guess, but I couldn't swing the ball. And,. Literally had to go out into the nets uh, when I, whilst I was 12th man and actually try and find a way, um, given I had only played, I think, two, two or three first-class games before I played for New Zealand. I was really learning the trade in the game. And so that meant just going out into the nets and trying things. And, and it was one day I went out and, and you know, I had my, my wrist angle, I, I realised was wrong. You know, I was, I was slanting, the, I guess, the seam over and I bought a, a, the third finger if you like, the ring finger up onto the onto the ball, onto the top of the ball. So rather than just having the two conventional fingers that se- uh, along the seam, I actually brought a third finger up. It looked like trainer wheels, really. That's probably really <laughs> a good signal of how I bowled. But, um, you know, some people refer to it as the devil ball with the head. But, uh, you know, that meant actually that subtle, probably only a two or three degree change in my wrist angle. And then all of a sudden the seam started becoming a bit more bolt upright and, and the ball started to swing. And it was... Honestly, um, you know, the, the the minute I can almost remember the ball that, that first swung for me. And uh, you know, that was probably the difference in my career really, to be able to go on and then play in the World Cup, which um and as you mentioned, you know, to play in a in a Commonwealth Games and, and over in Kenya with the um the R C C knockout win and, and I wouldn't have done that had it not been for that. So my, my tip really is to the young kids particularly is to to never stop sort of trying to, to tweak your little, you know, your, your, your wrist or um, your hand movement, particularly for bowlers, to just maximise, to try those variations and to, to just um, have the courage, I guess, to, to be a little bit different.
0: Being pumped all around the park in Australia makes you a member of a pretty big club, doesn't it?
2: They had a couple of reasonable players too, I think. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was fair cop for a, probably yeah. a club cricketer. <laughs>
1: Shane, what's your pro tip?
3: Um, one thing I learned from listening to uh, rugby coaches is, and, and seeing what the All Blacks do is they're still doing the same drills as what kids do. They're doing the very basics. And I had a friend message me yesterday who sent me a video of his seven-year-old son and said, give me some tips. And it's the same things that probably apply at the top end, apply for him. And my tips were just get him to run in straight at his target. Don't make the run-up too long. Keep his eyes on a little target so he keeps his head still. And then when he bowls... Just make sure that bowling hand is if it's you're wiping down the wicket, so um, and following it all the way through, and and they're the same things that you tell the the bowlers at the top end when things are going tough, and it's certainly I think holds true for for young ones starting out as well.
1: I like that. Back to basics, because if you do the basics well, then you're going to succeed, right?
3: Yeah, and that's what that's always tends to. When you look at bowlers at the elite level, that's when things go wrong. Their run up angles get slightly. Um, out of out of sync they end up a bit wider on the crease their heads are falling away they haven't got a focus target it's the same things that applies so making sure you're doing those basic things whether you're seven or 17 or 27 they they're all that doesn't matter you've just got to keep doing them
1: or 37 or 47 I mean, <laughs> or a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's it for Not Your Average Cricket Show thank you so much to Ian O'Brien Gise Davidson Jeff Eller, and Shane Bond it's such a pleasure having you too not Your Average Cricket Show is produced and presented by me, Zoe George, and Justin Gregory. The engineer is Lyndon Saunders. The executive producer is Tim Watkin.
0: You can subscribe to every Not Your Average Cricket Show episode at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, or R-E-Z. And while you're there on Apple, please rate us for clicking on ratings and your It's, it's dead easy. It's really good. This way, you And if you want to share your picks for the winner, or tell us how you're doing, over the next minute, Cricket,
1: Nog ik ze